Hey everyone and welcome back to the Transection Podcast in 2021, at the beginning of it anyway, we've got four more episodes to bring to you and today we are talking to non-binary chaplain Tori Jameson, uh, also known on TikTok as, uh, I think it's at Salty Chaplin and um, what they know about uh, scripture and all of that sort of thing is really fascinating, we had a really good conversation Tori is um, amazing because they're not just uh, all about talking about theology and religion and things, but I would say that Tori is very much uh, an active Christian and really serves people in the way, you know, they're not just all talk. They're, they're very actively um, in service to other people, regardless of their uh, religion or, or whatever. And... Um, yeah just an amazing person and I, I initially got uh, in contact with Tori because I saw that uh, another Facebook friend had got married to their partner uh, just as they were scared that the um, law in their state was going to change so there was kind of a mass uh, sort of queer queer wedding thing on one particular day in their uh, in their city of St Louis and um, it made it. I think it made national press that particular wedding, and I thought, oh, Tori's someone I've really got to speak to. And uh, yeah, it's it's been fascinating. I've learned so much, and uh, I'm not religious myself, but I do. I think sometimes you meet somebody who I feel is is really practicing love in in a big way, and and really kind of doing it right. And those people always leave a really big impression on me. And uh, like when I spoke to Mark Silver in uh, season one, I think it was episode, I want to say 10 or 11. And uh, Mark is a Sufi Muslim and comes from a, a Jewish background. And he, he's another person who really walks his talk and actually doesn't, you know, does a lot more action than, than talking about it. And someone, you know, so I think both of these people, I, I just find them amazing. And... Uh, really inspirational and very positive and yeah really really living their principles in such a positive way so I hope you enjoy it um, if you haven't already why have you not followed us on social media we're on uh, Instagram at Transection Podcast Twitter at Transection P and Facebook the Transection Podcast Co go and join us there reach out send in any questions or anything else that you want and um if this new year you've realised that you need to do a bit of uh, brushing up on your skills around supporting trans and non-binary people, if you haven't heard already, I've got uh, my free guide. There's no catch. Uh, it's on my website at mooksharrishill.com forward slash PDF. And uh, it's, it's a guide for beginners. If you're new to non-binary and trans stuff, or even if you're not particularly new, but you haven't had any kind of... Um, condensed learning and you've just done what I did for years of, of picking things up along the way like little pieces of information here and there all over the internet this is um I've had lots of uh, really good reviews and we're getting on for 200 downloads now and it's it's helped so many people and I want it to continue to help people so go and grab a copy you can take it into school or work or even if it's just for yourself and your family, maybe you're supporting somebody. Um, and, and maybe you don't need to brush up yourself, but maybe where you work or your kids' school.
school or something like that maybe they need a bit of help and a bit more information so it's there and it's free and uh, on the very same page you've also got a masterclass an hour long that walks you through the whole thing and uh, really brings it to life it's, it, both of these things are free uh, because I really want to make sure that people are supported and have access to the knowledge that they need because this is about people's well-being and uh, their survival and and hopefully thriving too not just surviving so yeah go and have a look at that anyway enjoy this episode Welcome back to this episode of the Transaction Podcast, and today I'm joined by Tori. Hi, Tori. Thanks for coming on. Hello. So nice to get to talk with you. Yeah, likewise. I'm, I'm super excited to talk with you, Tori. For, for our listeners, Tori is a non-binary and queer chaplain in what state are you in in the U.S.? Uh, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri. Missouri. And, and as far as progressive states go, where would you pitch Missouri in the state? <laughs> So we're in the smack middle of the United States, um, and Missouri is a deeply red, meaning like deeply conservative state. Um, I live in a very blue city, um, so meaning that we are a progressive city and um, surrounded by very, very conservative political and religious culture. Right. So is that a bit weird? Um, I have lived in places that are like this, uh, progressive cities in conservative areas, uh, for quite a long time. So I know how to navigate it. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit weird because, um, like, especially as a queer person, there are, uh, protections that we have in Missouri or, or like in St. Louis that we don't have outside of Missouri or out in the rest of Missouri. Um, and so like, uh, you know, I can, in the city of St. Louis, I am protected if I work like a regular, you know, nine to five job or whatever. Um, I uh, am protected from being fired for being gay or trans. Um, like they can't look at me and say, you know, hey, I found out you have a same gender partner or hey, I found out you're transitioning or whatever. Uh, so we don't hire your kind, you have to leave. Like, you know, they can still run you out for other reasons that are probably related to those things, right? But they can't formally say that in the city of St. Louis because we have protections, but the rest of Missouri, eh, you can. So cool. <laughs> There's a Supreme Court case that's a little questionable um, on perhaps maybe you, like some of that has to be a little bit less explicit, but um but yeah technically in the state of missouri you can be fired for being gay like literally just one day be like oh harris i figured out your secret out you know (laughs) it's wild um you also don't have protections for um like if you have a, a same gender partner right um or you know that if if i uh it's COVID so everything's weird right now but like in the city of St. Louis my partner um, can come to the hospital 
um, you know, and, and my, but like, um, you know, I can designate whoever I want, but in like the rest of Missouri, most of our hospitals are religiously affiliated and they may deny me that. Now I can fight them like hell, but it's within their rights to say, we don't serve LGBTQ people. We, your partner can't make those decisions for you. So like lots and lots of that sort of things, adoptions and, you know, there just aren't rights in the rest of Missouri. Um, so it's, you know, uh, queer people tend to live in in St. Louis or uh, in Kansas City, where there's a lot of the same rights or kind of Columbia, which so where the Kansas City is on the other side of the state. Uh, Columbia sort of in the middle. Um, those places all voted for, you know, Joe Biden overwhelmingly. The rest of the state did not. And so our state as a whole went to Trump. Wow. Well, that's, that's a lot there. Um, how, how do you navigate sort of bumping into or having to interact with people who are so against sort of you just being yourself or your values? Like, how do you, how do you manage that? I mean, in a liberal city, like, I don't know how it is where you're at, but I'd, I'd be curious to know, like, what it's like to go to the grocery store or, you know, kind of like if you get on the, you know, bus to go, you know, across the city or, or whatever, um, you know, interacting again, COVID is weird. So, you know, I know all that is limited everywhere, but, um, but, you know, in more normal times, like even living in a liberal city, I can't guarantee that I am safe, right. That I'm going to be treated with respect um, or dignity because I'm visibly queer, right? I, I have short hair. Um, I'm non-binary in a lot of ways. I am, you know, visibly androgynous a lot of times, right? Um, you know, and and so as a visibly queer person, and then especially if I'm dressed in my pastoral gear, right, my my priest collar, um, like. Um, you know, and or bedecked with rainbows or trans colors, a lot of that that I'm intentionally wearing. Like, I, you know, even if I'm just dressed in the most street clothes that I've got, um, I'm still visibly queer. And so I don't necessarily expect to be respected. You know, I, I'm sort of a constantly on guard with having to know that, like, I can get yelled at in the store. We can be treated badly, um, you know, even in the cities where we live. Now the store, like in, in the rest of Missouri, you can like, you can be denied service, right? Um, from a restaurant, um, you know, if you're a same gender couple. Now they don't usually, right? Because if you do that, like, boy, the AC, you know, like boy, one of our civil rights organizations would love to take that case. But like, in theory, you can be, and so they can just kind of be nasty to you um, with impunity. I I think like navigating that, like because the like the whole world, I guess for me, feels a little unsafe. Mm -hmm. um, you sort of, uh, for me, I think I kind of create a bubble, right? And I I I try to live inside that bubble as much as possible. Um, mm -hmm. I live in a very queer neighborhood, um, but also like, I think that there's something really beautiful about being visibly queer in a place where that scene is really strange. 
um, because, and, and as clergy, right, I'm a, I'm a clergy person. And so like being seen as like in this role, like you're this possibility model, right? Like you're able to, like, I'm able to like, you know, look, <laughs> queer people can have relationships, queer people can have families, queer people can go to the grocery store, you know, like, we're just like you, we like ice cream, you know, <laughs> we choose ice cream over asparagus, you know, like, when, when we're looking at our, our grocery budgets, right, though, we shouldn't, etc. you know, so I don't know if that answers that question. But yeah, yeah, I think there's something really important about finding community and uh, making sure that your world is at least in part reflecting you, right? I think right. that you can end up feeling, feeling so isolated and maybe even alienated if most of the people and the stories, the movies, uh, you know, most of what you're taking in is not you. And I think right. there's definitely power in that. And actually I advised a, a, a coaching client recently we were looking at sort of what they wanted in their life and how things had been uh, in recent years and how that was actually completely unaligned to who they really were and how they really needed to be. And I said, one of the things you need to do regularly is maybe watch some really like queer programs or movies or, you know, just start making your world more like you and your environment. And um, I always think it's amazing how many of us can forget that or not, not be in the habit of, you know, making our world kind of work for us or representative of us. So yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And I think if you can do that, uh, in most situations that can that can really have such a positive effect even if right. you know you're sort of in a on a queer island in a, in a <laughs> sea of red right. MAGA Trump you know supporters <laughs> so. And so like here we I've really worked to create really a chosen family right um and to you know like really build a community yeah that works for me but also works for other folks like I think that it's um so the the organization that I run is called Lot's Wife Trans and Queer Chaplaincy um and we serve trans folks in some of our sex positive communities so kinksters and leather folks and polyamorous folks and all that um basically serving folks in our community who are literally not served by any other uh, organization offering spiritual and emotional support. Um, most of my folks are non-religious, uh, although increasingly I have a whole bunch of young witchy queers, right? Um, we're doing an event I'm sure I'll talk about later, but um, like currently half the folks signed up for this uh, adopt a queer event, like um, thing are Yule celebrators. So we might have to hold like a super trans, like trans as all as possible Yule celebration on Zoom, right? Cause it looks like that's what's needed by my folks. But anyway, um, I think that like in doing the community work, like one of the most important things that um, I can be doing in serving this chaplaincy role to our community uh, is helping to foster connections between folks, um, you know, and building a community. And, and um, because like we, like the world is shitty. 
Like, COVID is shitty. Trump is shitty and he might not leave. Like, even if he leaves, like, my governor doesn't believe in masks and science denial. Like, I don't know what's going to happen with vaccines. Capitalism sucks. Like, it sucks that, like, we don't give health care to people. Like, the only way you can get health care is if you work a certain level of job with, like, over 40 hours a week. Like, your, like your value is determined by the amount of money that you can earn and not, you know, and, like, that cuts out so many of our folks, um, especially, like, the trans community is historically unemployed and underemployed. You know, like, there's just, um, you know, there's people, there's so much bigotry um, and hatred, and we're dealing with, like, extremely racist police, um, you know, here in the city. Like, there's just all of these sort of kind of churning issues, right? The big society issues, the local issues, and like, and community is sort of an antidote to that. Like capitalism doesn't work for us. Capitalism doesn't work for people who look and live like me, but we can create a community that we can provide, you know, we can work on mutual aid and help care for each other, right? Like capitalism doesn't work, capitalism doesn't work for us so let's share what we have because we're only gonna survive if we survive together. Yeah. And so I think that that's really important. And so like, like, it's not actually about me, but it's about, you know, like, we need this like, very trans island, in order for like, our trans folks to have a chance at surviving. But also like, we take in so many rural queers, right? Like, you know, like people come out in the middle of Missouri and are like, and I'm not safe. I'm going to go to St. Louis. And so, you know, we also like are constantly bringing in people, you know, and like, and so it's, it's this um, beautiful situation, but where there's always like so much need, you know, and so um, creating a community that can support that need and kind of spurn each other toward, you know, getting what we need, but really toward our collective liberation is incredibly important. Yeah, definitely. That's that's really beautifully put. So, um, Tori, your your organization is called Lot's Wife. Tell us about sort of from a biblical biblical perspective about Lot's wife and, and why that name was she was chosen as a figurehead. Yeah. So okay. So Sodom and Gomorrah is probably a story that's of course familiar to you coming from a church background, but probably familiar like if you if you know anything about you know cultural Christianity Judaism I think is less obsessed with this story, but like you know conservative cultural Christianity you've probably heard something about it. But essentially, there's these two cities, um, and they're kind of like in the middle of like the desert. You know they don't have like Google Earth. You know they don't have interstates, right? Like for all intents and purposes, for the people that live in these places they're basically it like those two cities are all of the people in the world which is important into the later interpretation of it so anyway so sodom gomorrah there and there is um terrible things happening in the city um you know there there's evil being done um and but the big sin according to the text the big sin that's happening is that um there's a lack of hospitality. And so God like sends these two like men or angels, depending on how you read that word um, in, in the Hebrew. But so anyway, sends these two angels 
to go and basically test like are they really going to continue to be inhospitable to the stranger this is like the biggest thing that they they have to you know they're terrible um they're being terrible to each other in doing all these evils including this particular thing okay so anyways these two strangers show up they're they're not given hospitality in fact um except by one righteous family uh the family of lot and so they take in these strangers and people are so upset that that people have you know broken the societal norm right you've let in the outsider you know um and that was core to uh the way the society was set up but they've but they've broken this you know societal norm and and welcomed a stranger as god had commanded and that they surround lot's house um they um bang on the doors they demand that these men be given over to them so that they can hurt them um or angels whatever they are right um but they but the demand that they be given over uh lot in a not great twist lot says no you can't have these strangers but here have my daughters which is awkward they don't want the daughters the daughters didn't do anything wrong they want to attack these men right they want these strangers out right they want to boot out the strangers and and so and because of this wickedness lot and his wife are sent out of the city um so the conservative interpretation that you've heard of that like what were you taught harris about um, sodom and gomorrah i think that's where the where people tend to pin their homophobia for right. me yeah but it was explained to me since uh i used to go to church growing up it was church of england and one of the readers there was a, she was a retired nun and I saw her on the bus actually earlier this year and we had a chat. I don't think she remembered me, but she had a big impact on me growing up because she really introduced to me as well as my parents, actually, this idea that the way that you interpret things, especially from our kind of very English um, and literal way of speaking is not necessarily what was originally meant or the words, the way that it's been translated is biased. So she explained to me uh, at a young age she said that actually the the words originally and she'd spent many much of her life studying this she said the words originally was not against gay men it was against the slave trade of uh, sex slave trade of young boys that's right. what she told me yeah that's true it's that uh in later like when we talk about um like words that are later interpreted uh in the or written in a lot of our English translations as homopho like as homosexuals. And yeah, it's really about um pedestry, like the um, yeah, like uh conquering of uh, you know, young men as like or boy really boys, like very young boys as as um sex objects or as tokens of war or conquest. Um, but anyway, and so, you know, it's like non-consensual sex and and assault of minors is certainly a major sin right but consensual yeah. sex between you know adults um that's you know loving and free and all these sorts of things like is a is it not what that uh situation is talking about so anyway yeah. so yeah so so she's right so but backing up into uh Sodom and Gomorrah so yeah I was taught that you're right it, this is like where a lot of people start 
their homosexuality, like their, their hatred of homosexuality. Um, but it's not about homosexuality at all. Like, um, but if you listen, don't listen to a bunch of American televangelists talk about it or like, you know, conservative, you know, Bible radio, you know, like, I don't know if you all have like, uh, televangelists or, and like hate, like kind of really conservative Christian radio, like on, you know, when you turn on the radio there, but we do, we have many stations of it. I've got three or four, um, different ones here, um, but anyway, all across the dial. So you hear them constantly as you, you know, scan through. But um, anyway, uh, those sort of folks will say, you know, that, that these men, you know, wanted the angels so that they could rape them. Like, no, friend, like, that's not in the text at all. You know, the, the bigger sin, like, like what actually is happening is that they're strangers and they want them out. Like they're refusing to give hospitality to the stranger. And like, the, the, what's really interesting in that is that, like, we're still dealing with this problem, right? Like, so many folks, you know, like, like the same folks who are yelling that, like, homosexuality is wrong because of this text are still throwing out their gay kids and their trans kids, right? They're, they're dead naming their trans kids. They're, you know, I have a community member, one of my, one of my folks, um, they're uh, non-binary um, trans mask person um, young adult. And they, um, came to me and after a visit at home, they're, they're a human who is on full disability for reasons, right. Has been most of their life, but they had to go, don't have a lot, don't have connection with the parents, but had to go home for a couple days for reasons, right. Had to go see their mom. And, um, the first thing that mom says when they come into the house, um, to them is that they called them by their dead name and said, I can't wait until the day that you die because I will bury you under your dead name, the girl name, right? I will bury you under this name um, and I will put you in that dress that I love that you, you know, they of course don't wear dresses anymore, you know, bury you in a dress and, you know, they mentioned the name of the church, their church of origin and said, you know, you will be part of this, like in so and such preacher that's known homophobic, like that this preacher will, will say that all people like you are in hell. And I can't wait for that particular day because that will be the best result of your life. Like that's the shit that comes from that interpretation of Sodom and Gomorrah being about homophobia. When in fact, like, those exact same people aren't welcoming the stranger that that is in their own home, you know, like 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 the outsider in their own families, and they're not, you know, much less like those same folks are advocating for, you know, Mexico to build a wall. Like I just all that kind of nonsense, and you know, trying to trying to make it difficult to like provide resources to immigrants in our own cities and refugees, you know, um, constantly cutting social services in favor of the police and in favor of funding, you know. INS, like immigration services that gets, you know, that like the immigration police and all that, that, that get deports people and on and on. So anyway, so it's, so it's incredibly dangerous, right. To, to have that particular interpretation. Um, but so the reason, so, so my community chose to want to reclaim that story, right. So that, so Sodom and Gomorrah is used against us as, as queer people, um, and I'm using queer in the largest, you know, kind of umbrella sense, right? 
Um, but uh, so we wanted to kind of, but the, you know, the using it as something against homosexuality is, you know, as I've been saying, is a wrong interpretation. So we wanted to kind of reclaim that. Um, but we weren't going to be the Church of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a little too much, right? So, <laughs> so um, what happens after, like, um, uh, so, so the men come to try to, uh, you know, chase out these strangers. Um, and the strangers end up leaving. Um, at some, I think they make it through the night. I'm not sure, but anyway, whatever the case is, they they become less important. Lot, um, but but they report back to God. God of God says, well, you know, this there is all this wretchedness. I'm going to destroy these cities. Now, and that's a pretty shitty God, right? We can we can talk about that too. But nonetheless, God's going to destroy these two cities because they can't get their act together. They can't act in a in a decent manner. And even though they've been given every chance in the world, the only people that are righteous are Lot and Lot's family, right? And so Lot and his wife, who doesn't have a name, right, um, are sent out by God to out of the city, right? So like these, the imagery is like that these fireballs are, you can't see my hand, but like these fireballs are, you know, forming above, you know, the little, the twin, the little twin cities and their walls. And so like Lot and his wife are walking out into the desert. There's supposed to be a place farther out that they haven't seen yet. Um, that's supposed to be a refuge for them, but really they're leaving like everything they've ever known. Right. God has condemned all of this as, as, as uh, you know, so wretched that it, it no longer gets to exist anyway. And so Lot and his wife are, are walking out and, and they have some, like the daughters come with them and, you know, like some other associated things like a mule or something too. But Anyway, and um, and Lot's wife um, turns around, like like the fireballs are forming. They're not there. They've been told to walk and you know and and don't go back. Um, but she turns around and is turned into a pillar of salt. Again, I don't believe that this is in any way literal, but this is how the narrative of the story goes, right? And and so. The question is, like, why is she turned into pillow of salt? They're righteous. Like, why does she not continue? Um, our, I was taught with that in the conservative world that I had come from, that she was disobedient to her husband. Lot doesn't tell her anything, but whatever. She was disobedient to her husband and therefore to God, right? And if she was a better wife, she would have listened and she would not have died that's some bullshit interpretation and is missing really the beauty in the story. Um, some people will say that she like wanted her, like the other conservative interpretation that is common when I talk to people uh, is that people um, have been taught that like she, you know, like all women has a shopping addiction and she was really sad about leaving about all of her nice clothes at her house. What? Yeah. So again, <laughs> women don't have a shopping addiction if we want to talk to women about shopping addictions that's because we're trying to not talk about things like liberation and justice right and we're talking we want to not talk about the destruction of capitalism so we want to just tell people women to shop less and listen you know and obey your husbands more and stay at home more because if you know you go out into the town square you know you go out into public you work you might have opinions you might want to like fight for your rights we don't want that to happen so anyway Okay, so so you know, so again, so we're just gonna just get women all obsessed with that. Everyone has a shopping addiction, and I just don't want to be materialistic. 
even though capitalism teaches you to be materialistic and okay anyway so so it's some dumb nonsense to avoid the the, the topic yeah. at hand which is justice and liberation so so really what i think happens is so she's turned to this pillar of salt she so the way that this story is they're literally leaving everything they've ever known right they're trusting god that there is a place of nourishment that they're not just going to die in this desert that they're heading to somewhere but they don't know where that is they for all intents and purposes they think they're the only people that survive you know they may be the only people really around anymore you know they're restarting the world and like for her to turn around i think that she is invested in this um old testament way of uh being in community right like her, her old testament truth telling like there's this you know idea that these prophets right like uh, you know, return again and again and again to these cities, right? And they take on sackcloth and ashes. And so for me, like, it seems like she turns around, maybe an attempt to do that, right? That she, that she's taken up the mantle, like, she, it's a little late to have taken up this mantle, but she takes up the mantle to try to, you know, rescue, right? Or perhaps she knows that she turns around because she's sad about leaving behind everyone she's ever loved, and perhaps she turns around because she goes to do the only thing any of us can do in times of grief, right? Like when there's a really terrible diagnosis, right? Like somebody has some terminal cancer, right? Something really bad is happening. There isn't a whole lot that you and I can do. I can't fix that cancer, right? But what I can do for you is, is to be with you, right? Is to bear witness right and to you know and to reflect back your life to you and so perhaps what she does is she can't stop the fireballs coming you know she can't stop the destruction but she does out of the all of the compassion within her she turns around and um and to bear witness with compassion and mercy right and and when she does that um she's turning this pillar of salt and salt is a valuable resource in the middle of a desert so it's not that she's disappeared. She's not in trouble. She's a memorial, right? She does the right thing in, in turning around. And even though she can't stop the, the, you know, destruction that came. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I've, I've heard an interpretation of that part where she turns into a pillar of assault that it was literally that because of the blast and because of the destruction that that there was some kind of um, fallout or after effect and because she was slightly behind the others somehow because she was kind of lagging or something that she got caught in some kind of blast and that she physically disintegrated um so i wonder if yeah there was like a little bit of her Kind of falling behind like she's she's not a hundred percent sort of in it just for herself she feels sad and and or you know and she just is kind of can't keep her eyes off of it because she's you know like you said like very emotional and then like supposedly whatever destruction has happened she gets she gets caught in in a wave of you know something and she like evaporates or melts or <laughs> something like that but yeah 
it's really interesting hearing you say that and and talk about this story when in my mind for a long time that has always been used to shame me and my community even though I never believed that that was the real intention of the story anyway um it's really nice it's really nice to hear you say that so in your journey from becoming uh, from kind of being a, a, a congregation member right up to being a chaplain was there ever a time that you felt like you know religion wasn't for you or do you feel like the whole time you were certain in your path and it was just up to you to to really claim it for yourself I so to give you my story in brief I um, came from a Roman I was raised Roman Catholic um, by uh, I my parents are from St. Louis Missouri um, and we are a very very Catholic city um, I never lived here until an adult and it sort of just a, happens to be where there was a job a while ago and so I moved here, but I never intended on being here, right? But I'm glad I'm here now. Um, my parent, my mom's family is so Catholic um, that, so my mom's name is Yvonne um, and her siblings' names are Michelle, Adrian, Renee, and Yvonne. So if you, their first letters of their first name spell out Mary, cause you know, 1960s Catholics, right? So, so that's very, like they're very, very, I was raised very Catholic, um, but my, parents I think raised us that way myself my brother out of just obligation I don't think that they really believed you know I though did when I was young I had like a sense of the divine right I knew like I loved being in my kids choir and like singing like standing in the balcony and like you know the hymns like rising into the rafters and reverberating like it just was this sense of transcendence for me um and you know i just remember having a connection to the divine and and that there was got to be something bigger that was guiding us and and even knowing small like that there was just ugliness in the world right like and and that like there had to be another alternative to just continuously living in the you know nonsense mm -hmm. and the and the shit and so um but so i when i was small i um was an altar server and um so like i was helping like the the priest has little kids like go and like set up um the different communion elements and stuff in the catholic church and it's very formalized uh i fell carrying a candle and uh because i was i'm five foot eleven now uh but i i hit an early growth spurt so i was like five foot six or five foot seven like in you know second grade i mean i was like head and a half taller than everyone else by at least i like i was really i had like super super early puberty and so anyway i so I was so tall and i had these big shoes and these giant glasses i was just klutzy right and I was carrying this candle. No one ever should have put a candle in my hand. Um, and I fell. And instead of having compassion, like into sort of the priest, like everyone gasped, the priest turned around. He had me immediately sit down. I didn't get to help with the rest of the service, which was like a disgrace, right? And then at the end of it, he asked us not to come back. And so my family never went back to Catholic church. 
Um, now I know as a pastor, like having done all of this training, right. That like, probably what he meant was, well, this is a, not a great role for you and let's find you something else. But that's literally not what he said. Right. For all intents and purposes, my family was kicked out of the Catholic church and it was my fault. And, and so I like, so my family like fled, I continued to really believe in a divine, but I was angry, you know, like why on earth am I this big gangly human, you know? And like, why did you, why did you cause this? God, the, um, my mom started getting into reincarnation, like stuff. It was just in, but like, so I later took classes in the Hindu traditions. Um, she was really on a lot of drugs, to be honest. Like she didn't like, there are people, there's legitimate, beautiful ways to believe in reincarnation. Like the way that you get there is like, that if you, like, you can get there pretty easily by believing, like, that talking, like, like having an understanding of time being in cycles and all these things. Like, there's a couple of things that are a little bit different from, like, the uh, Western understanding that I had grown up with. But, like, you just make these couple of different jumps and, oh, sure, there's, like, this is how you end up, you know, believing in reincarnation like a billion Hindus do, you know? Like, and that's beautiful and wonderful and great. That was not what my mom believed. So, anyway, she used to do a lot of drugs and watched too much Oprah. So anyway, so, um, but nonetheless, so, so they really weren't religious. Um, my growing up was pretty chaotic. And so, um, I joined a church in middle school, like an evangelical conservative evangelical church. Um, and because I wanted the stability and I wanted reasons to get out of my house. Right. Um, and so kind of fast forwarding in college, I, um, joined a very conservative church. Um, and, um, like that was really a cult. Um, they were young earth creationists. Um, they were very strong on gender roles. If you, your audience doesn't know what young earth creationism is, they might not. Young earth creationism believes that the earth is six to 10,000 years old. So they're super skeptical of science in general, but definitely in evolution, uh, it's a hot mess. Um, but anyway, the organization that runs most of that here um, in is uh, Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis. They can go look it up, but it's a whole mess. It'll just make you upset. Um, but anyway, so, and it's super anti-science. They're anti-vaccine, like it's, it's, but anyway, and like super gender roles, like there's particular roles for women. The reason that that church had felt really appealing is again, my, the life I had come from was really chaotic and they made promises that you as a woman, like if I went to Bible study and I did, you know, I did church seven days a week and I was faithful and I, this and that I would get married at the end. The promise was that I would get married at the end of college and my life would be good. You know, like we would have this good job and we'd have this good house. And I believed it. And I did. I got married out of school. And I knew that I was LGBTQ. Um, but that was so shunned. And like it had been shunned by my parents and shunned from the school that I had come from. Of course, it's shunned in the church culture that I just kept pushing down the queerness. Right. So I married this man that I loved. Um, and it was hard. And he had major mental health problems. Um, he died by suicide um, when I was uh, 24, almost 25. 
yeah, 24 and a half or so. And, um, and then when he died, I like was shunned by the church. Right. Um, you know, they had no concept. Their pastors didn't go to school <laughs> their, um, you know, to allow them access to people like they had and have is really dangerous. You know, he had been abusive physically and emotionally abusive. And after a particular incident, um, I finally got up the nerve to report again. I didn't, I didn't know, like, I didn't know that there were domestic violence hotlines, right? I just didn't know. I didn't know that I had options. I, I, I would behave so much differently now. Right. But then I'm in this super closed, tiny little system, you know? So I did the only, I finally stood up myself. The only thing that I knew to do, which was to go to my pastor's wife, right? And to say like, he did this and this and this, and I'm scared. I'm scared about going home. I'm scared. Like, I'm not safe. You know, we're trying to have a baby and the baby, you know, if I'm not safe as a pregnant person in this house. Like, and, and they told me to, um, instead of like dealing with the abuse, like getting me out and getting him help, right? Um, they told me that, uh, you know, the, the winsome wives win back their husband, their wayward husbands to the Lord. And you do that by dressing sexier. So I was supposed to cook in the kitchen and lingerie. So I did for weeks. And that just that of course doesn't solve the abuse, right? Um, and so when he eventually took his own life because his mental illness was just out of control um, and he hadn't gotten any help, we didn't, the church didn't believe in healthcare. I mean, you know, I don't know that that would have saved him or not, but it would have, you know, it would have given him a fighting chance, right? Yeah. Um, and would have given me a different life back then. But, um, you know, uh, suicide is complicated for lots of, you know, there's a lot of factors in that. But in any event, whenever he, when he died, the church blamed me, like, as if I should have, like, I just wasn't sexy enough to keep him alive, like, <laughs> which is just wow. the most ridiculous thing. Um, and like, because, you know, they, and there was no place for me as a young widow, right? I wasn't a virgin anymore. I wasn't, you know, I knew too much. I was a wife, but I didn't have a husband. Woo! Like, I know how the world works a little better, you know, like it just, anyway. And, and when the church abandoned me, it really felt like, like they really did shun me and, it was my whole world and my whole community, you know? And when, when they did that, I felt like, like I wondered where God was, right? I wondered like, had God left me? Like had, you know, like what had I done to deserve this life if God had planned every day of my life like why this and I mean and I think that that then like my own specific experience is a little different than lots of folks but many many folks like you're a trauma survivor 
right? Like your specific experiences are not this, your specific experiences are their own brand of different and terrible, right? But like mm. the thing I think that is shared amongst us is the like the feeling of like, why did this happen to me? You know, and like and and that shared feeling of aloneness, you know? And I think kind of fast forwarding a bit, I ended up doing a lot of self work and like trying to, you know, and like, I think for me, what ended up changing um, was that God, I had to reconfigure what I believed God to be. Right. And I think I had been taught that God was this man in the sky who counted every hair on my head. And that's some bullshit. Like, because if that's the truth, right, then God foreordained me to suffer, to be abused. Like God foreordained this man who, who would really suffer most of his life and then die. Right. Like, like God, God would have foreordained like his, his mother's a mess, but like, like, could you, like, I couldn't imagine a God like he was a very wanted baby, right? Like I couldn't imagine a God who like creates a baby, you know, like people like cradling this very young baby, like knowing that this child is going to suffer and harm people like this, you know, or like, or be, you know, like, I just like, that God is evil, right? Because if that's how God is going to create, then God shouldn't have made, you know, I like that. And I just don't think like in all these other studies, like that's not the God of the scriptures. And that certainly isn't the God of liberation and justice, right? Like, I think that my, I did a lot of theological study. I did a lot of reworking things. And I think I believe in a God, but I believe in a God, not of a man in the sky, but I believe in a God who, who dances in and among us in connection, right? That like, that there's something really holy, like when you and I, like you and I had a conversation before this and like, there's something really beautiful in like sharing our shared experiences, right? And like finding common ground and in creating community. And like there's, because in what's, what's that shared space, right? Like there's something new that's that that exit that that didn't exist before we had this sort of conversation, right? And mm. that new thing has its now it has its own little life, right? And that life like joins in all of these other new possibilities and all these things. And so you could call that like, you know, connection, but you could also name that as divinity, right? And so like so I experience God in community and connection. Um, and that, you know, and that those community and connections at their best drive us toward liberation. And so, yeah. So, yes, I felt very alone uh, to answer. That's a long answer to your short question. Yeah. But like, yes, I felt very alone. But also, like, I think it, it took it, it took not only the church leaving me, but me leaving the God of that church. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, how how would you feel about religion? I mean, would you describe yourself as religious now? Or do you think, and because I think the thing for me is that I feel, I think because, because of coming from such, um, in many different arenas, such a patriarchal, systematic kind of, in many ways, soulless 
um, upbringing, I I can't help personally, but but see religion as a system that is is ultimately designed for the system's benefit and not for the individuals. Now, of course, I 100% support people um, who are religious and have their religious beliefs. And I don't think that what they're doing is wrong. It, it's just it's just how I I know that I feel personally about the whole thing. Um, and I know that that's just me and that that's not everybody's truth and it doesn't have to be and there's still value in, in everyone's life and, and potentially what they're here on the earth to do. Um, but was there ever a point for you when you felt that way about religion? Or did you see it as not religion's fault at all, but rather the people who've kind of corrupted it? I think, so So your two questions are, am I, do I consider myself religious and is the issue with people or religion as a concept itself? So to answer the first one, or to answer the question of whether I am religious or not, I, I consider myself deeply religious and deeply, deeply faithful, right? Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I am very quick to claim my place at the table with the clergy and the, you know, and, and sort of push my way into getting into every kind of space like that that I can. Um, yeah. Because as a trans person, you know, as a visibly queer person, as a, you know, female bodied person, right? I'm AFAB, assigned female at birth. Like I, like, you know, I, I visibly still have breasts, like most of the time. Like I just, you know, I, like all of these things, I, I think it's really important to be able to say like, no, like trans people belong at this table, right? Yeah. But, you know, survivors of, you know, like I'm, I'm quick to tell my story and also to say like survivors belong at this table, queer people belong at this table, like young people belong at this table, though I'm, you know, every day increasingly less young, right? But like, <laughs> uh, you know, but like, um, uh, you know, people who, who, like function in this way like we belong here and we are you know like like god doesn't belong to the homophobes right like you know god you know the gospel right the the, the god's call to um go and do the good work of liberation and justice in the name of god like like that call like comes it, like that belongs to us. And so like, so I am very quick to say I am not religious because I, for me, right, I'm making a different decision than you are on this. But for me, I refuse in my position, I refuse to concede Christianity to the homophobes, right? Sure. Yeah, like, I get that. Now, and I 100% respect you and most of my community members who are like, fuck no. I don't want anything to do with that project. Like, <laughs> fuck no, fuck no. And like a hundred percent, like, like I 100% am on board with like when people say that doesn't work for me and I say, great, what works for you? Right. Yeah. And so like, but in two, like, I think that like I mentioned, you know, I've got a ton of my folks are pagan-y, witchy folks, right? 
Um, I think that like there's this really beautiful thing that some of them are up to, like they're creating like an all trans coven that's happening and like, cool, like really cool. Like do that thing, right? Like, because you are creating religious community and you are claiming a place in, so like when people say, are you religious? All these folks are yes, right? Like they're reclaiming their place in, in a larger tradition. And like, so goodness gracious, if that works for you, like more power to you, can I help you find a crystal, right? Like, what yeah. do you need? Like, how can I support you in that, right? I am not pagany, like, but you know, like goodness gracious, I'm so glad that works for some of you. And like, you know, we have uh, one of my community members um, is like follows the order of Odin and apparently like the Proud Boys like to claim that too, but they're in a intentional anti-racist like order of, um, of uh Odin anyway and so we had this like two hour conversation the other day that was all about um like how this works for them and it's beautiful and like they're the tenets of that are all about serving people and caring for folks through and their but their their myth making like story or their 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 truth telling story isn't isn't Jesus right it's Valhalla and the the heraldic tales of Odin great perfect like this like like following that path for them helps them to like gives their life direction and helps them to be like doing the cool justice work. Cause they're up to some, they're helping doing this like free they're, they're running this like Turkey takeover thing and providing like donated Turkey meal, like real chef made Thanksgivings to all kinds of our community members. Like, and that allows them, you know, like they, like some of their reason for doing that is because they are being faithful practitioners of this other tradition, you know? Yeah. So I think for that, like, I believe that there's a power in religion and there's a power in reclaiming, especially Christianity for us as trans people. And yes, please don't do that. If that isn't, if that isn't healthy or good for you. Right. I certainly, and, and in my, I should probably say directly, like, I support people. I, I do a lot of interfaith work and no faith work, right? Um, but I am certainly not someone who believes that the gospel call is to make more Christians. Like, I don't want people, I don't want you to believe what I believe. This works for me, but I don't know that it would work for you. You know, like, I don't, you know, I don't. Our our, our bigger imperative is to care for each other. I think there's many paths to God, right? Um, yes. And as far yeah, and as, oh, yeah. That's, Sorry, that's a key that's a key belief of mine is that all paths lead to God. And I I really feel, and I've said this before, I really feel that if you really are connected to the divine and you're aware of that, then you really should be seeing the divine in pretty much every person that you meet, even if right. they're misguided or whatever. Um and I think that if you get to the point where you start only seeing divinity potentially within the fellow members of your congregation then actually you're you're not connected I don't think or not fully because you know as far as those kinds of beliefs and religions and traditions go we were all create, created equally and so if we're not seeing that then we're biased and, and I think that's that's potentially you could say it was an insult to God as well. Yeah. I think that's true. Like I think that God God is big enough to handle the many ways that God has created us, right? Like 
And, and um, for me, kind of answering the second part of your question, for me, I follow the path of Jesus because I see for me, the best path toward a model of liberation in the story of Jesus. I think a lot about like the example of Jesus serving the marginalized, right? Like Jesus hung out with like the, the, the people that, you know, were outcast by their own society and by their own families um, and with the poor and the sick you know, it, it seems really clear to me that if Jesus were hanging around now, like Jesus would hang out, you know, in the middle of the trans community in the, you know, Jesus, we like, you know, would hang out, um, you know, with the leather folks, like, uh, one of our orgs, not mine, but another of our great orgs runs like a, um, uh, uh, Moho, the, like a Missouri, uh, sex workers coalition group, Jesus would go and hang with those folks. Like those are Jesus's people too. Right. And like, you know, it just, it, it, Jesus, like anytime that people draw a line between us and them, like Jesus is with the them. Right. And so I think, so there's that example of like, you know, following the path of Jesus means that like you're, you're providing a special care and, and giving a special voice or creating space for people themselves to give, the, you know, to speak with their own voice for the concerns of the most marginalized and oppressed. But also in the story, like when you talk about the way that Jesus interacted in larger society, so not like with individual people, but like with the government, right? Jesus is political radical, right? Who's killed because he's advocating for like, uh, you know, the rights and needs of marginalized and oppressed people, right? He's, he's jumping around saying, you know, like Caesar isn't it, right? There's a God who's bigger than Caesar, right? And boy, that feels really uh, contemporaneous when we feel like we're kind of saying the same thing about, you know, our current president, right? Um, you know, and like, there's a God that's bigger than Donald Trump and Trump's nonsense, right? But sometimes it's kind of hard to feel that around here. Anyway, so, but like, so Jesus uses the master's tools to, to disrupt the master. So like, like Jesus has these community organizing strategies, right? Built into it. So like one of the things is like, um, you know, if, if like there's the turn the other cheek thing, right? I was taught that this is like this passive thing, like, oh, Christians aren't supposed to get into a fight and like, no, 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 no. That's not what that's about at all, right? Like what it is, is that like you were allowed to slap someone of a lower status than you, like across the face. Like, so if you take your right hand and you are allowed to slap them like um, like across using the front of your hand, right? Um, you couldn't backhand people, but, but if you turn your cheeks, so if you turn kind of giving, presenting to them your opposite cheek, the only way that you can really, they can hit you is to like then is to backhand you and that then gets them in trouble right so like your authority is breaking their own you know you're using your the the like your authority the authority system against them um the same thing is like um you know instead of carrying like the soldier could make you carry the cross like you know like literally like pick up that cross kind of stuff like a soldier a roman soldier could make you carry something for them 
it was like they like one mile they didn't use miles of course but i forget exactly what the measure was but it was some uh, one mile right but instead of like one mile like jesus's command was no 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 instead of instead of one mile carry it two right because that got them in trouble like not only did it embarrass them but actually it could get them in trouble with their superiors so it's literally using the master's tools to dismantle the master's house right and so in those sort of things like i think that there's this really interesting example in jesus like to to talk about like like within like like we can use christianity to dismantle like the worst bits of christian you know of, of christian culture right and we can use like christianity that's such like this tool of ca like, capitalism because so much of like um of christian of contemporary christianity is uh, at least in the context that i'm in so much of of contemporary christianity is like that confuses jesus and capitalism right and so like so you can use like the tools of jesus to dismantle capitalism and like create a system of mutuality um and and in a, in in doing all of that kind of work in a language that is familiar to a lot of people right yeah and yeah. so for those kind of reasons like i am a christian i really i also identify as a unitarian universalist um i just trained unitarian universalist too but that like the um but really like would we have these sort of conversations i will jump up and down and claim my place as a christian yeah. um because of all of those sort of reasons you know and again i don't think that solution is for everyone i certainly am not going to push people you know who are like christianity really hurt me cool you don't want it i don't want to talk you know like yeah I, like like that's real you know mm. yeah that's cool that's cool so tori you and i met because you conducted was it one or several of a mass wedding yeah so we did mass weddings in front of city hall um for so um the supreme court of the united states recently uh chose to nominate a incredibly conservative judge um named amy coney barrett um she is anti-immigrant anti-reproductive rights um anti-science and anti-lgbtq rights um she really wants to push back um and has made it very clear that she really wants to push back um lgbtq rights including the rights to adoption where they exist um and uh equal marriage which is wild right and um i was so upset about her nomination and she of course got nominated there was really no protest anywhere like the little marriage protest that we you know holding queer marriages in public uh was our protest of her um we were about the only protest in the whole country so we got a ton of national press which is great <laughs> but also like if our senators had done anything they wouldn't have covered our weddings you know like I wish that they had done something to fight it so that we weren't the only protest in the country, you know? Um, but they, they failed at their job. So, um, but yeah, so we married over four days. I had um, dozens and dozens and dozens of volunteers and volunteer clergy and photographers and bakers and 
witnesses and all kinds of things. And, you know, we had the whole place was festooned. The whole front of city hall was festooned with rainbows. Um, and we married, we ended up marrying 14 couples and, um, we did two vow renewals, which was really, really cool. Cool. I love that. When you're doing that sort of thing, do you ever have this moment where you're like, wow, this is really kind of history in the making and I'm in it? No, it felt like that when, when reporters and folks asked me about it, but no, I am in the moment. It's just what I, what I wanted in the moment um, was two things. Like it's, it's, it was acts of joyous resistance, right? That like, that, that, you know, protest is incredibly important to securing our rights has been part of the queer story. And that this is not just like, we're just gonna have weddings, it's fun, yay, wedding. Like, no, 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 like this is intentionally an act of protest. And sometimes, a lot of times we march, we shut shit down, like we sit in, you know, we sit on the highway, et cetera. But like, right now, the way that we can protest her effectively is by doing the thing she wouldn't want us to do, right? Which is marrying queer people. But also like, what I really thought about in that moment was that like, you know, I'm in America, like our our COVID numbers are exploding. We knew that they were going to explode over the winter. It's currently worse than we thought it was going to be, but you know, like back, but our numbers were, you know, a little bit lesser then. So it was still safe ish to gather, you know, people were masked and distanced and all that, but we were still able to gather like that, um, outside carefully. Um, but we, uh, you know, doing those weddings for four days, I stored up so much joy in my heart that's gonna help me get through the long, dark and isolated winter. And I hope that that also, like storing up that level of like queer and trans joy will also help my people get through, you know, like we did this beautiful thing. We will get through this winter together, even though it's gonna be really hard. And even though we're not, we're only together virtually, you know, and at the, you know, someday we'll be, there'll be a vaccine and we'll be able to, you know, be together again. So. Yeah, definitely. So moving forward, Tori, what, what is, what are your kind of goals for the future? Or what, what is it that you want to kind of grow and cultivate during your kind of profession and passion? So, well, the next event that we're doing is we're doing Adopt-A-Queer. <laughs> so we have a sign up going on right now it by the time this podcast goes up i think it'll be in full swing um but basically like having uh, lgbtq adults sign up um and like supporters sign up and kind of matching them and then like people people sending people like uh, their folks like holiday like their assigned queer person like holiday cheer um for thanks between thanksgiving and which is like at the end of november and all the way through Valentine's Day, um, I had people pick their, you know, select their holidays. So some of my, you know, putting people who celebrate Hanukkah with a, you know, someone else who celebrates Hanukkah, you know, putting our Yule supporters not with conservative Christians, you know, like these, these kinds of things. Um, so yeah. trying to, trying to match people to the best that we can. But so um, I think that like, cause that's another way to create community. I think for me professionally, um, I work full time, but I am struggling financially. Like I, I do this full time, but I raise my own support and it's really hard. You know, um, I think that um, my 
like most immediate goal is figuring out how to, you know, get the other funding. I'm about 40% funded and that's not enough to pay my bills. And so, um, I, uh, so, so figuring out the funding is a big one, but also like assuming that funding gets figured out, like I, um, want to be in connection with more folks, right? Like I think I, I want to be training more people to literally do this, like come on and do this ministry with me. I think we need about 10 of me in the city. Um, and because like we do, uh, a ton of like just one-on-one pastoral care, emotional, spiritual support, walk, you know, funerals and weddings and walking beside people. And I do classes on mental health stuff in the kink community. And I've done like church work around inclusion. I mean, just on and on and on and tons of activism. And like, there really is a need for about 10 of literally me in the city and outside of it, like, you know, uh, uh, hundreds and thousands of us. Right. And so I, um, I would like to be training some more folks to be doing this work, to join me in doing this um, here in the city um, and, and then on. Um, I think, you know, building, building greater community um, and, and taking on more, you know, collaborative projects that help our trans community in the future. We're, we're talking about, there's, there's discussions around like housing complexes for trans folks and, you know, yeah. some longer term mutual aid. And like, um, you know, we need, we have like a doctor in town that is really trans affirming, like consistently, and we need a bunch more, you know, like, so just trying to, trying to help with efforts like that, that help our community, but it's really hard to know, right? It's hard to know like six months from now, or like even like someday when we live in a post-vaccine world, right? Like what on earth it'll look like because the community changes so much and, you know, we're mm-hmm. intentionally adaptable and flexible. But five years from now, I want to be doing exactly the work I'm doing now, only adapted yeah. to that context, you know? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Thank you for that, Tori. And uh, if people want to follow you, what, what platforms are you on and where can they find you? Yeah, so the best way to find me, so I'm Tori Jameson, T-O-R-I-J-A-M-E-S-O-N. You can at friend request me directly or my ministry page is really updated all the time. So you can follow our ministry and what we're up to at Lot's Wife, L-O-T apostrophe S, Wife, um, Trans and Queer Chaplaincy. I think we're like facebook.com slash Lot's Wife Chaplaincy. Um, and then I right now am raising most of my support on Patreon. And so, um, yeah, and you can follow me there. So lots of yeah. chaplaincy. That's cool. Yeah, check the show notes and we'll, we'll, stick, we'll stick the links directly in there. Yeah. And so you can follow and support Tori if you're called to do so. Tori, thank you so much. This has been hey. so fascinating and lovely to hear your story and your words. Thank you so much for having me. It's really... Uh, beautiful to get to talk to folks and like I listened to a couple of your other episodes and um, you know was just uh, blown away with the level of discussion and like the levels of discussion about spirituality so I'm really thankful for you and Jordan right I listened to you and Jordan earlier and like um, you know I just our community is so beautiful in the ways that we have learned to support each other and I'm honored to be a part of that so Oh, Tori, that's so lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah, so nice to talk to you. And you.
Hey, and thanks for joining us on this episode of Tory Jameson. Um, just a little note that Tory is completely self-funded and is not paid by a church or anything. So if you would like to support Tory, um, I really encourage you to. I will link their um, fundraising link in the show notes. So go and have a look at that. And um, please sponsor Tory. I think the work that they're doing is amazing. And um, long may it continue. If you haven't already, you can sign up to our mailing list uh, at mooksharrishill.com forward slash transaction. You just put your name and your email address in there and we'll email you each time there's a release or we're doing something. We'll tell you about it. It's not too many. So I promise you won't get bogged down. We're not trying to sell you anything. We'll just send you a little email uh, when when an, an episode is released and uh, any other bits in there. It's sort of like a, a little newsletter. So go and sign up there. And uh, if there's anyone that you think would benefit from listening to the Transaction podcast or any any particular episodes, please do share it with your friends. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, you could also leave us uh, a review on Facebook, uh, the Transaction podcast. Uh, we love to hear from you and we love the feedback that we're getting. And um, yeah, it's always it's always lovely to connect with people that have been listening. And yeah, we want to know that we're making a difference uh, from as many of you as possible so yeah anyway take care of yourselves and i will see you in the next episode where we're talking to maxwell hope who is okay let me get this right they are a trans vocal and oh, no, hang on a minute i can't remember the proper term they study voice anyway and it's really fascinating to um, get into the technical bits that um, we need to know, especially in the trans community. There are some people who have dysphoria with their voice. Uh, I'm one of those people. And Max studies uh, how we speak and, and how we make the sounds and how we can change those things um, if we're looking to really start to hear a voice that sounds right to us so I, I found the whole conversation really fascinating so yeah come and join us for that anyway in the meantime uh take care and we will be back with another episode in a week bye